judge more than the other way. And that one's drilled to left field. There it goes. See ya. A three-run home run for Judge. And the Yankees come back. And they lead this one 8-6. Hey now, hey now, welcome to the Sportscasters Podcast. This is Season 10, Episode 13. My name is Steve Bennett, and I am here with my co-host today, the lovely Paula Bennett. Hey, baby. Hey. Say hello to the people. Hi. What are you up to today? I'm up to today is going lunch with Daddy and Ma with Willow. With Willow, with Willow and Gregory and Anthony, with my dad, and with Gregory and Anthony and Willow the Pillow right. and Greg. Where are we going? Mississippi River. Right, we're going to Mississippi Muds on the river. It's a hot dog stand here in Buffalo. It's really popular in the summer. It's a great spot for lunch. And Paula and my brothers and my niece and nephew, we're going to go down there in a bit. So we got to squeeze this in quick. But we got a great podcast for you today. Mm-hmm. The Puck Daddy. Greg Wyshynski, you know the Puck Daddy, Paula? Yeah. Yep. He's on the podcast today, and he was the second guest in the history of the Sportscasters way back in 2011. He's going to join us. We're going to talk about the relaunch of the National Hockey League. Now, Uh quick note about that. We recorded this after the situation with the Coyotes, Mm -hmm. so that's not talked about. Uh, But we talk about all kinds of stuff with the NHL and its relaunch. Then we'll do a book club update real short. Uh, but we'll do that, and then mm-hmm. we will do an interview with Stuart Mandel, who's the editor-in-chief of the college football section of The Athletic, and we talk about what is going on with college football, will it reset, yeah. and then, hold on, Paul, and then we talk about the uh, the crazy, crazy um, kind of Twitter beef between Kyle Brandt and the rest of sports media, because uh, Kyle said he thinks that they're rooting for the virus and the demise of sports. Hi. And uh, Kyle gets into that, or uh, Stuart opposed that view by Kyle, and I defend him a little, and we go back and forth. It's really good, so look for that. Then we'll be back for one last thing. I think I'll talk real quick about why I'm not kind of jumping into the pool with baseball just yet. You nut. Wait for me to talk to you. You're crazy. I All right, let's talk to you real quick. What are you doing during coronavirus? How are you keeping busy? I like to keep busy with doing pool. Yeah, talk right into the mic. Now, when Daddy's talking, you can't stop. When I talk to you, we got nothing. What are you doing during coronavirus? Um, swim in the pool. What is coronavirus? Um, a virus. Yeah, well, we know it's a virus. That's in the word. But, like, what is it? Corona. Corona, okay. How, well, when is it over? When is it going to stop? Like, like, like maybe in July or something like that. July, okay. Yeah, yeah we'll see. Uh, what if, what movies and TV shows have you been watching lately? I'm watching Santa Puppies. Santa Puppies? Uh-huh. What was the new movie from the 80s that we started watching yesterday? Uh, 
Goonies. The Goonies. You like that one? Yep. Who sings the Goonies song? Uh, Daddy. Yeah. Before I think we had to pause for a second. Okay. Because I had to go potty. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. All right. Paula is going to take a quick pause. She has to go potty uh, mid-podcast. That's a fantastic, fantastic piece of business there. All right. Let's get started. Uh, we're going to do Puck Daddy first. Uh, then we'll do the book club. Then we will have Stuart Mandel. And then one last thing. Why am I only dipping a toe into baseball, not diving in head first, despite the fact that I am very, very thirsty for sports? All right. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with Greg Wyshynski. Our first guest today was the second guest in the history of the sportscasters, a graduate of Maryland, formerly of Yahoo, the Puck Daddy, now with ESPN, a warm sportscasters. Welcome to Greg Wyshynski. Hey, Greg, how you doing, buddy? I am doing well. Thanks for having me. Episode three was your first appearance back in uh, 2011. And actually, you were on episode two, not three. I misspoke. Oh, Yes. So, Attack of the Clones, not yes. uh, Revenge of the Sith. Jeff uh, Passan was one, you were two, and Richard Deitch was three. There you go. So two, yeah. two Yahoos and, a, and an SI guy. That's right. That's right. That's right. And uh, now two Yahoos are two Espens. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. how do you feel now, and maybe your feeling has evolved in the last few hours based on the data released by the NHL. But how do you feel in terms of confidence that there will actually be a start at the very least to the planned return to hockey in a couple of weeks? Oh, oh, I'm 100%, 100%. sure there's going to be a Oh yeah. I okay. mean, I I mean they're they're going on July I think it's 26th to the uh, hub cities um, inside the bubbles, 24 teams, 12 in the east to Toronto, 12 in the west to Edmonton. And, you know, the numbers have been very encouraging. Obviously, you know, there's a few <laughs> wrinkles to the, the report this week that only two players tested positive um, in the testing that they've done in training camp uh, since uh, they returned. I guess it was on July 13th. Um, th- that doesn't account for players that had already tested positive and were in quarantine. Probably doesn't account for players that were held out of practices due to contract tracing i mean it it obviously doesn't because the penguins held nine players out of training camp and those are obviously not you know part of any math in that news release this week um but the the picture is pretty rosy right now i mean as far as the work that they've done to get players into train into team facilities get them in these protocols get them tested and um you know, I've said this for, for a while that the epidemiologists and the uh, the medical experts I've spoken to over the last few months have all indicated the same thing, which is that if you test daily, if you have bubbles um, that are secure and that players aren't leaving, uh, and if you have specific protocols that you have them follow when they are uh, interacting with each other and when they're on the you know on the ice and in training facilities and, and yada yada yada. You could pull this off, and and so far, I think the leagues, particularly the NHL and the NBA, are showing that that's a possibility. 
All right, well, let me ask you this, because maybe I'm guilty of wanting to give the league too much credit, but there wasn't a huge fight like baseball, right? Uh, When I had Jeff on recently, he is still, to this point, very skeptical. I have you on, you're 100% certain uh, about starting, that is. Um, The players don't seem to be as dissatisfied with the league as, say, the NFL players seem to be for example. So is this a case where we can say as hockey fans, we got it right this time and give them a little bit of a pat on the back or no? I think as hockey fans, we can say that they are in a different situation than the NFL and and major league baseball. (laughs) Sure. Um, You know, when it's a lot easier to sell a return to play to your players when it's merely uh, you know, skipping ahead to the playoffs and the postseason and saying, okay, those 70 you know 68 70 games that you played uh earlier you know for months you know traveling around being away from your families like that's all not going to be for naught we're going to come back and finish the season and give you uh, a chance to maybe win win a championship and so selling that to your players is a lot harder oh and also you know you're going to do it in these two uh bubbles that we're creating that are going to keep you extra safe and, and keep your families safe and everything so Doing that is a lot easier than saying, okay, baseball player, uh, here is the start of your truncated season. Uh, it's a long haul. You won't have any fans for any of it pretty pretty much, right. uh, but do enjoy it. And same thing with the NFL. I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk, I guess, today about the New York teams coming back and playing in front of empty uh, stadiums and stuff. So it's a different sell job, and it's an easier sell job uh, to the NHL players. And then, you know, when you combine that with, the CBA and getting that done for the next six years. And there being things in there that I think the players are, are justifiably excited about getting as far as concessions and as far as, um, you know, certainty over the next couple of years of how much money they're going to owe the owners. All of that combined, I think makes them a little bit happier about their lot in life than say uh, a, a major league baseball player or an NFL player at this point. Well, you bring up a good point. I think at some point when we look back on this and we say, all right, let's make a list of the positives. Like what what happened that was positive and all of that, what we went through. You know, we're going to obviously on a personal level cite like things like, well, we got to spend all this extra time with our families, like an unprecedented amount of time. And hopefully that will be a good thing. It, it has been in my case. Um, and then as sports fans, one thing we're definitely going to say is the NHL extended its labor agreement without a lockout or a strike which it's been a while no <laughs> well there's only one time that it's <laughs> it's happened under gary bettman where they they haven't had a work stoppage uh on, with, with a cba negotiation which is an incredible when you think he came into the league i think it's like 92 or 93 around that that time um to have that much consistent labor unrest um in, including you know a canceled season and stuff so to do this without a lockout was impressive. Um, but I mean, the thing about this negotiation, even before the pandemic shifted the ground under their feet and changed the math on a lot of things for the players and the owners, there, there wasn't that one issue where you felt the owners were going to go to war with the players over. You know, when they canceled the season, it was to get a salary cap. You know, in other cases, it was to change contract rules and things like that. So, um, you have these. You didn't have that one issue that was going to really 
you know, cause the, the owners to lock out the players, which is, you know, always the consideration, especially when it, it it's appeared to be a situation where the players weren't going to, you know, push back and try to get a luxury tax instead of a salary cap or something like that. So it was always kind of the winds were always kind of blown towards this being a more amicable negotiation than than they've had previously. And then, you know, when the pandemic hit and now all of a sudden this system that the owners fought for where the salary cap is tied to revenue. Well, when there ain't no revenue, cap's going to drop. Right. So all of a sudden they need the players to make sure that something catastrophic doesn't happen with the salary cap. And then the players need the owners in the sense that this 50-50 split meant that they owed them a ton of money based on the money they're losing this season, based on the money they're going to lose next season. And so, you know, it became kind of that communal, uh, you need me, I need you thing that, that, that I think, you know, led to this whole thing working itself out the way it did. All right, two more things, and then we can do the amazingly fun thing, like talk about hockey, uh, because it's been so long since we do that, and I'm looking forward to that. But two things I want to iron out first. I don't want to go too deep into this, because at this point, it is what it is. In any way, do you think that, like, was it silly to bring back 24 teams when you only have, what, eight, six, seven more? You know, shouldn't they have just found a way to bring everyone back? You know, as a hypothetical, um, and um, and this is like a more of a thread, like or um, should they have just brought back sixteen teams, or like basically what I'm asking is, is what they came up with, again, should we give them a pat on the back for what they come up with, or is this a point where we say, <laughs> what the hell are they thinking, or where do we stand on what they're actually coming back to? <laughs> you know, it's 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 a good question because I mean, there net there definitely needed to be some remedy for the teams that simply ran out of uh, runway at the end of the season because it was paused with a good 12, 13 games left for most teams. And, you know, you look at the Western Conference, I mean, you had teams, you had like, you know, four or five, six teams that were all sort of within shouting distance of each other for the wild card. And so, you know, to cut those teams off would have been kind of beat. Um, did they need to go to 24? Of course not. That that ropes in the Blackhawks and that ropes in the Montreal Canadiens, two teams that right. did not deserve to be in the playoffs this year um, and certainly weren't trending up to a point where you had confidence they could make the playoffs, even though the Blackhawks were, were fairly close. That was a team that was a seller at the trade deadline, for example. So they, they didn't even think they were getting in. Um, 22 teams was the magic number, but they obviously wanted to make it kind of an even split 12 and 12 they went up to 24, but I've got no issue with them expanding the playoffs uh, this year to the extent that they did, just because it would have been so unfair to the teams that had their seasons cut short. And then I'm also an advocate for expanding the playoffs overall. I mean, I think when Seattle comes into this league and we have 32 teams, the idea that only half the league gets into the playoffs is insane. I mean, it's just dumb. Uh, it's it's leaving money on the table. Um, it is antithetical to what other leagues uh, are doing as far as expanding their own postseasons. And uh, the idea that you can't have an eight versus 10, nine versus eight play in series to do, to determine the last seed in for your 16 team tournament. Um, I mean, to me, it just makes total sense to do that going forward. But it, but again, you know, like you, I, I grew up at a time when um, the playoffs were. <laughs> were a bit more uh, representative than they are now um, where, you know, at one point, like 16 out of like 22 teams got right, in. Right. Uh, I just think that, that ha- leaving half the league out of your most profitable and, and most exciting part of the season is, is just ridiculously dumb for hockey. And, and I hope that they, 
you know, get a taste of what an expanded postseason can look like uh, this summer and, and, you know, want to do so. I was going to say, I wonder if we're not all going to kind of fall in love with this, like, you know, best of five kind of, you know, fight to get in. I wonder if that there's going to just be like a real charm to it. We're going to love this first part of this and find a way to carry it over, um, you know, into future seasons, maybe not not necessarily to this extent, obviously, but, you know, in some way. Um. You know, and it's funny because you're talking about, uh, you know, teams that needed more time and like in no way do I think the Sabres got cheated or anything like that. But I think it's so very Sabres to think that if the season lasted one more day, you know, like they're literally in Montreal, you know, to play the Canadians. uh, And if they win that game, which, you know, debatable, but maybe uh, if they win that game, they're the team to get that spot. You know, not the Canadians. They also played two less games than the Canadians. You know, it's just very like them, the way that, you know, they're the 25th team in this. And, uh, you know, if they could have just got 12 more hours, you know, if that basketball player wouldn't have tested positive maybe for another day, Jason Botterill maybe still has a job, right? I mean, I don't know. It's an interesting uh, kind of – Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that's that's an unanswerable question, right? Like sure. Whether or not yeah. he uh, he keeps his gig or whether they have something else in mind. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're in a situation that, uh, is a frustrating one, but again, like, I I think that, yeah, if you're the 2015, you're the 2015, would have been, would have been, you know, stupid as well. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody cries too hard for the 25th, uh, team (laughs) in the league. Uh, the other thing I want to ask you about was the draft lottery before we get to the hockey part. Um, I thought what they came up with was insane. Um, you know, I was really, and maybe it's because I'm a fan of one of the teams, but I was really of the camp that, like, if you're going to only shut out, you know, seven teams, like, maybe then compensate them with being the seven teams in contention, you know, to win the first pick. Maybe if you want to expand for two or three or something, all right. But, like, I don't know. I thought it was really strange that not only did they exclude seven teams, uh, but that in the lottery, um, in the end, they ended up rewarding, <laughs> rewarding again. Now, one of the teams that isn't even, we don't even know who won the lottery because they're still in the playoffs. Like a playoff team is now also going to win the lottery. So what did you think of what they came up with that? And again, we won't re- like relitigate it too much because it is what it is at this point. But like, I don't know. This is the one area where I really feel like it was just completely stupid. Well, it's stupid only because they had to capitulate to teams that were complaining. I mean, and, and so this became a be careful what you wish for type scenario where you had teams saying, look, the, this is a travesty if the same team that wins the draft lottery wins the Stanley Cup. And then all of a sudden you have, you know, a, a team that wins the cup. And then the next week they're drafting Alexis Lafreniere as being their franchise player. And and uh, that's just unfair to all the dregs of the league that, uh, you know, need the help. So the league, you know, was in the spot where they had this idea of trying to do the draft uh, before the season was restarted. The team said, no, 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 this is terrible. And so in order to appease those teams, they came up with this very convoluted uh, format in which uh, placeholder teams could uh, win, win, you know, top three picks. And then, of course, it turned out that a team that will uh, lose in the qualification round will now have a chance to draft a franchise player, which could very well be. 
you know, the Leafs? Pittsburgh Penguins were all yeah. of a sudden this. Yeah, the Leafs. Yeah. It could be a number of these teams. I mean, my God, like the Leafs, the Leafs losing in the first round and then getting this incredible, you know, franchise level player where I've seen uh, people say he could be the fifth best player drafted in the last decade. Right. Um, you know, would be in, 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 an, inc- an incredible stroke of luck in some ways because, you know, that's a team that's capped out. And all of a sudden you add this player on a rookie contract for the next three seasons and your the entire complexion of your team changes where you now maybe you're able to you know trade off one of those core pieces to free up cap space or or help out your blue line or whatever so um yeah the long story short i mean it's it was their reaction to the complaints of of nhl teams and uh, if nothing else i mean it does level you know add an extra level of intrigue to how this qualification round plays out where in some cases if teams do end up losing uh they'll be fine with it because now they have like a one and eight shot at this kid and in some cases if you're like you know the minnesota wild and you pull an upset in the first round like what the hell are you doing right (laughs) you're you're much better off trying to go in the tank and and get this kid out of the draft so we'll we'll see what happens but it does it certainly adds a a a different wrinkle to what we're going to all witness in the next couple of weeks i I think they just should have done the first the, the seven teams out lottery boom but Chris Peters, I think, is the one with, that wrote the column where he, he ranked the one and two pick from the last 10 drafts and assumed, you know, the two top two guys this year. And I believe he had uh, him at fifth, fourth, fifth, something like real. Somewhere in that. Yeah, somewhere yeah, in I that mean, area. He's, he's not. He's sick. an outstanding. Yeah. yeah, he's an outstanding goal scorer. Like he's got a lot of of, of real, real ability um, to, to come out and, and make a difference for a team. Um, but it's, again, it, it, you'd rather see him go to a team that really needs him, um, right. than Detroit end up, would have been. you know, yeah, Detroit yeah. would have been the, the perfect spot. I mean, Ottawa had their two shots at getting them too, but, um, you know, the idea that, that the rich could in some ways get richer, uh, if he ends up playing on Sidney Crosby's wing for the next 10 years or, you know, with McDavid, it's, it's kind of crazy. All right. Let's talk about games cause we have them soon and this tournament and when you look ahead to it, and let's start at the basic part, the beginning of it. First of all, I want to say I'm absolutely giving them a pat on the back for the schedule because it just looks amazing to think we're going to have days of just like hockey all day long and playoff hockey, right? Like to think we could have, you know, three dub- one, a double overtime game at noon, a double overtime game at 8, and a double overtime game at 11. I mean, I'm in for that, especially with how little we've had for so long to just like, flood us with this playoff excellence is an amazing idea i think so props to the league for that but besides the schedule in this beginning part is there a storyline a team is there something and we've already covered the draft part of it the the that the losers could be winners but what else are you really looking forward to or interested in following in this beginning part oh i mean all of it <laughs> I mean, that's the yeah. give me answer. anything I mean, yeah not- there are a few there are a few series that I'm not too jazzed about. I mean, like the Predators and Coyotes are two teams that I think are better matched to uh, play other other teams as far as you know intrigue goes. Um, the Winnipeg Calgary series is going to really suffer from not having those fans in the stands, sure. um, you know, to to really create the atmosphere that that you'd love for two Canadian teams to have. But I mean, that could be some real fire wagon hockey uh, in that series, even though you have the best goalie in the, in the league on the Jets side of things. Um, and then there's, you know, the, the chances for some upsets. I mean, the Rangers have had the Carolina hurricanes number for like the last two years. 
Um, and and that's a that's a very a very intriguing matchup when you consider how good the Rangers were starting to play, um, especially in goal towards the end of the season. Um, every matchup has has its virtues and uh, its excitement, and it's only underscored by it being a five game series in the qualification round. So, you know, two real good games from a goaltender and then a fluky win and all of a sudden, you know, a team advances that you don't expect to. Are the Rangers the team you would identify as the most likely to upset their opponent? Or would you like to pick someone else? Um I mean, they're 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 an interesting they're an interesting one. I mean, you know, the other part of that too is that Carolina thrives so hard from playing in front of its home fans that aren't going to be there either. Um, so the, the Rangers are, are kind of a team that you could almost see peaking at the right time, but they're also a team that's very thin in some places as far as experience goes and things like that. And you wonder exactly how they'll handle this entire, you know, setup and scenario. Um, you know, it's, I, I don't know if I have an upset pick at this point. It's 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 still too far out <laughs> to really predict anything. Um, we haven't really broken down the series yet for ESPN. Uh, so I'll hold off on any upset declarations. That's fair. Just, you know, know that I won't be speaking to you between now and then. So I had to, you know, slip it in there a little bit. You know, what's interesting about the Rangers is like, I wonder if Capo comes back as a second year player in some way, you know, like. It's such a huge advantage for him. You know, rookies hit the wall or whatever. To be able to regroup like that, and he, he didn't have this season, I'm sure they were hoping. You know, I just wonder if he could, or any rookie really in this, you know, if there could be someone who exceeds the way they were playing previously because they got to regroup and refresh and, you know, they get to build on what they have already accomplished in the league. And I wonder if that could be an X factor. Maybe we're not thinking of or Maybe we are thinking of it. I don't know. I think it's more the guys with injuries that are going to come back and maybe have a chance to have healed up. Guy sure. in particular um, that's notable for having you know declared that he was hurt was Phil Kessel, who had a really underwhelming season with the Coyotes after that big trade, right. and everybody's kind of wondering, "Whoa, this is not good." Like he still got a lot of money left on his deal. You expect him to be better. They obviously acquired Taylor Hall with the idea that you know you stick Hall on one line and have Kessel on the other, and now you're talking about two really, really good wingers to kind of boo your a lineup that doesn't score a lot to begin with. And he said that he was battling, you know, a pretty bad groin injury throughout the season. So with a bunch of months um, on the sideline uh, on, with a chance to rehab a little bit without having to skate, uh, you wonder if maybe he's going to come back with a, a bit of a better look. And he's always been a very good playoff performer, too. So right. um, he's he, it's that kind of player versus anybody else that I'm really intrigued to see what the layoff has done. Interesting point. Uh I know you haven't dug into it too much, but is there a first round series you're really hoping emerges out of this plan? Oh, as far as the round of sixteen? Yeah. Tough to say because they're reseeding, right? So like right. it's not it's not bracketed right, right. and and you're I mean, you're talking about, you know, a number of different dominoes falling in different directions to make stuff happen. But you know, I'd like to see the Leafs avoid the Bruins <laughs> just because we've seen um, that, right? Yeah, we've seen it yeah. and, and to have that play out again would be just kind of a bummer. I mean, the Leafs could be a very exciting team if they go on a run. I mean, I, I think there's a number of teams that are just like you're looking at and you're saying, all right, this is this is a, a pretty, you know, whack scenario to begin with. It's the sort of thing where you expect a team to win their first cup since 67 or win their first cup from since 75 or win their first cup ever. You know, like you expect there to be some anomalous 
um, you know, victor of this tournament just because of how everything else has gone. Um, so, you know, I, 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 there are certain matchups that are going to be intriguing. I mean, obviously with the top four teams playing those round robins, um, you have the, the potential for the top seeds to not even emerge as the top seeds, which is going to really, uh, create some hay as far as the matchups go. But, uh, I mean, listen, I, I think, the intrigue in in reseeding is is great, and I, I wish that uh, the NHL would get over themselves with this bracketed stuff and and go back to that because I think it's it serves the playoffs better. Yeah, and the bracketed stuff has not done anything for the league. the The idea that like millions of people would be filling out brackets the way they do for college basketball, I mean, has not you know come to fruition for them. I don't think. Um, I don't think anyone cares about it. I think people would much rather you know have receding but uh the sports guys are here with greg wachinski finishing up nice enough to give us some time it's getting busy again so i appreciate it he's at wachinski on twitter of course and you can follow his writing on espn and of course his podcasts um are many and puck uh puck soup podcast that's the twitter at puck soup podcast uh, has a patreon aspect and i'm sure greg would love for you to sign up for that i read an article yesterday greg it says that during quarantine we've welcomed Almost a half a million more podcasts. Uh, <laughs> it's gone from about seven hundred thousand to almost one point four million podcasts. Yeah, yeah, and, and unfortunately, unfortunately, they they all they all joined at the wrong time because there's no more podcast advertising and listeners <laughs> and listening is also the the amount of podcasts is up and the amount of listening and listeners is down uh, according well, to say, this article. I'll, I'll say this about that. I mean, our our listenership. On, on both ESPN and ice and puck soup has, has remained really strong. And uh, I mean that it's fascinating to hear, to, 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 you know, witness that because there's been no games or anything. And, um, and on puck soup in particular to have people say that, like they've found the episodes we've done in quarantine and without hockey to be some of the best stuff we've done is sort of surreal. But uh, the one thing I'll say is that the, uh, the, 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 the quarantine and stuff has been very advantageous for our Patreon, which has done really, really well. And, you know, I, I think part of it is, is our ability to kind of add stuff to it as we've, you know, all struggled to uh, find creative outlets. Um, you know, my, me and Ryan Lambert, and my wife, Ruby, um, did a, uh, a, a Top Chef podcast uh, every week when All Stars was on. And, and that drove a lot of people to the Patreon and they stuck around. So it's it's been interesting to kind of track how people have um, figured out their consumption of media during all this. Um, not only like, obviously like every streaming platform outside of Quibi doing well, <laughs> but right. also like Quibi. <laughs> uh, seeing people, seeing people kind of like come and discover the, the, the massive um, amount of content we put on the Patreon. And then also obviously the, the, you know, years long archive of stuff they can go dip into. Um, it's been, it's been cool to see that grow the way it has. I think you were in a nice spot with that show too, whereas people come to expect you guys to talk about things other than hockey, the pop culture yeah. and stuff, yeah. You've, you know, so you were positioned in a nice way to kind of just kind of drift the focus a little bit on that. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I felt, I felt like for the last few months have been a very, at a, at a very unfair advantage in the sense that, you know, I work from home <laughs> and have right. worked from home outside of a few trips to uh, ESPN in Bristol and a few trips to Yahoo and Santa Monica here and there uh, and in New York. Like for the most part, I've worked for home, from home for like a decade. Right. So there's that aspect of it where I've been ready to kind of do what everybody's had to do for the last few months. And then the other aspect, like you said, is, you know, I am not someone who's ever been 
you know, going back to my days as a blogger and certainly, you know, as a podcaster, like I've never been somebody who's had to rely on the game results to really create content, you right. know? So, yep. um, I think, I think that sort of played into it to my advantage as well as, as someone who's created content, but obviously there's no replacing breaking news and stuff that happens in the ice and controversies and things like that for stuff that moves the needle. But for puck soup in particular, like the, the fact that we've been able to <laughs> jettison guests in, in, in favor of uh, weekly game shows and people have just gone crazy for them has been really fun to see. All right. Very last thing. I'll get you out of here on this because you did write like 2000 words on the Sabres and we tried to kind of hook up around when it came out, but schedules and stuff we got to hear today, but I, I just want to quickly, uh, quickly uh, we'll cover it like this. There's a new GM. He's inexperienced, obviously, I don't necessarily know that that means he'll be worse than the last two GMs who are not <laughs> very good. It's a very, very, I think, a fair hope as a Sabres fan to think just because these guys are inexperienced doesn't mean he won't be better than the last two. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll say for him on this, and this will be the question, I still feel like the chance to build from what they have as their core to build out, it's very. It seems still to me feels very attractive. Like even as a fan, I still like the idea that if this GM is decent, he's going to be able to build from Eichel and Dahlin and Cozens, and I still believe that Middlestack can be a very good player. Uh, and Reinhardt, and you know, like I still believe in what the the core is available to them, and it's still a young core. And I still think like the thought to build a certainly a playoff contender if not a cup contender should not be an impossibility uh what do you think about the state of the sabers after your article and the hire and where we are on july whatever the f it is today well i i mean okay so a couple things i mean sure if your starting point is a is a foundational center and a foundational defenseman bing bing um, and yeah and that center is signed for you Ten know, years, however many yep. years Eichel signed for, and and you under you go under the auspices of him not asking out. Um, that's a good place to start. Uh, the problem is there's not a whole lot beyond that, <laughs> and so the good news is that um, there, with so many free agents on that roster, the the turnover on on the Sabers next season, I think could be pretty pretty significant, and if they can get their cap to be. Um, where I, I, I think they want it to be, they could also be a team that uh, gets the trickle down from other teams looking to dump salary because of the cap being flat. So, you know, the Devils, it didn't work out, but I mean, that's that's what they did with, with P.K. Subban right. last year. And, yep. you know, th- those ty- th- the weaponization of cap space is one of the greatest assets a struggling franchise can have. So they've got that going for them potentially, which is nice. The problem is, is that the this is now a, a third rebuild. In, in, you know, a, a pretty short period of time. Sure. Uh, Tim yeah. Murray was in one, Botterill took over, they went to another one. Now this is a, a completely different one. And the problem with Botterill and the biggest problem during his tenure there was that the big swings that he took didn't pan out. I mean, you can't trade Ryan O'Reilly and get the return that they got for him, right? So um, he's got to get Thomas in that deal. He's got to get something yeah. beyond what he got. Yep. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he, he, Tage Thompson whatever like maybe it'll work out but like 
not getting Thomas, not getting Cairo. I mean, it's going right. to, we look back on that trade now and you're just like, wow, this is a major whiff. Yep. And so, you know, when you have your chance to take big swings to fill out a roster the way that they could have with that trade and you don't do it, then the scandal, you know, there's number, so many other moves that were made during Botterill's time there that just didn't pan out. Um, it set the team back as far as it's the totality of its lineup. So do I think that there's a chance that they could become a contender in short order because of just the um, turnover on the roster that's going to occur? I, sure. And, and you know, they're going to have some good young players as well. It's just going to take some time. And then the real question is um, the, the economic one and the underlying one about what we all witnessed with this purge of the roles in hockey operations. A lot um, of firings. <laughs> a, lot a lot of firings. Yeah. And, and a lot of firings from an ownership regime that when it took over proudly declared that hockey operations would never struggle for, for money and Could would never be underfunded. Oil, yeah. yeah. And, and so, I mean, we all know that the world's changed for the Pagoulas just like it's changed for everybody else economically. But, you know, it's it, it was so severe and so swift and so all-encompassing and, and done under the auspices of – we're just going to change the way that we do hockey operations and make it more efficient. Well, that's cool. Uh, as long as more efficient means better, sure. <laughs> and, and not only more efficient economically, but more efficient in the ability to identify talent and acquire talent, which is the real question mark here. So, I mean, like I said, when, 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 um, the change was made, my, uh, my, my dial got recalibrated on assistant GMs, or, or people within the organization, because I mean, you know, I know he wasn't Adams wasn't an assistant GM, but people inside the organization taking over a job and then doing it differently or having a different view than what was already there when uh, Brian McClellan took over in Washington, and you know, everybody was everybody thought it was just going to be an extension of George McPhee, and turned out to be something completely different and something better. Um, so I, I don't automatically, you know, um, disregard the internal promotion of of candidates. Uh, and that it won't just be an extension of what was already there. Um, that said, I think, you know, Kevin from business administration has a pretty big hill in front of him to v climb. Very fair. Uh, just a quick reaction to that because I know you got to go. But there is a little bit more than just Eichel and Dalene. Like, I'm not sure who it was. It maybe it was the Athletic just ranked the 50 best non-NHL players. And the Sabres had the number one on the list. Now, I'll be fair. They didn't have any of the other 50. Right, it was just that one guy, but he, <laughs> he he was number one on the list. So, in someone's well-respected mind, I wish I could. I'm pretty sure it was someone at the Athletic. Uh, they have the number one non-NHL prospect, you know, with the team. Um, sure. In Cozens, and then again, I'm still choosing to believe in middle stat, and I could be, you know, freezing cold take on that. But you know, it does. You know, he still two years ago had only played like. 15 junior hockey games in one season of college hockey. So I think the thought that he was going to somehow not need some time to develop was an insane swing and a miss on the previous administration. They should have just let him develop. And but so I'm still going to give him time. And also, like, I love the coach, you know, and I hope that what's happening behind the scenes, especially if there isn't a GM, is that the coach is very involved now in the player acquisition side. Um, right. Because I really believe in him um, on and off the ice. Like he just really he sold me. You know, I'm on that wagon right now. Like I believe in that guy. Maybe the same way that Bill's fans believed in Bean and um, I can't think of the name of their 
coach McDermott, Beanie McDermott, you know, that hopefully on the other side, like we've seen the GM coach tandem work for the Bills in the Pagula Enterprise. That's why I bring them up. Hopefully now the, you know, the Ralph and uh, Kevin combination can work on the other uh, arm of Pagula Sports Entertainment. So those are the reasons why I'm optimistic. And also because if I'm not optimistic, I'm just banging my head against the wall next to me. And I've done that for eight years already. So I'm just trying, (laughs) you know, a new approach. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. All right, Greg, anything else you want to promote? Uh, at Wyshynski is the Twitter. Um, find yep. him there. Uh, Puck Soup uh, Podcast. Is that what I said the Twitter was? Or Yeah, P- Puck Soup well, Podcast. Yeah. Or, yeah. or just go look for Puck Soup on iTunes. Wherever or you go get. look up yeah. uh, ESPN and Ice on pod, uh, on, uh, on iTunes. Yeah, and you you'll and come across the pods. Yeah. Greg, I appreciate uh, we're at nine years of doing this a couple times a year. <laughs> Uh, and I appreciate that because really there's no reason for you to do it beyond kindness. So I really, appreci- <laughs> I really appreciate it and just wanted to thank you again. Uh, enjoy the hockey. You got it. Anytime. Thanks All for having right. me. Could have used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering out She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high Way up firm and high I want to thank the great Greg Wyshynski for being one of the OGs of the sportscasters and what nine years into this still coming on all the time. I appreciate that. All right. Book club update. Paula is here with me. We're going to update the book club real quick. First this week uh, on Tuesday was the release of total fucking Godhead, the biography of Chris Cornell by Corbin reef. And it's, it's out now. So it, it came out and, uh, it's actually out of stock on Amazon until August 2nd, it looks like. So it's selling really well. And I know Corbin is really excited. I've been doing some ret- uh, retweets. I'm reading this book now. Uh, the great Chris Cornell, of course, of Soundgarden, an audio slave, Temple of the Dog, his solo work, one of the great uh, singers and songwriters of the 1990s and my generation, the music I love. And I can't wait to read this book. I'm in the middle of it. Amazon says it's the number one bestseller in suicide, uh, which is a uh, just a strange category. I didn't know there was one, uh, but that is the book, Total Effing Godhead, the biography of Chris Cornell by Corbin Reef. Also, we have a new book uh, into the book club this month, and it is a annual staple, uh, the Football Outsiders Almanac, the 2020 edition. The Essential Guide to the 2020 NFL and College Football Seasons. Uh, It's available now. You can purchase it on their website, footballoutsiders.com, and wherever uh, you get books. I think on Amazon you can order this as well. Honey, honey, honey. Can't be knocking your mic around, baby. You're making a lot of noise. Tell the people. Do you read books? Yes. What's your favorite book? Um, Princesses. Princesses books. Princesses books? All right. You got to stop banging stuff, though. You make a lot of noise. You got to be quiet. Uh, 
All right, the essential guide to the 2020 NFL and college football seasons, Football Outsiders. And I got some good news. Aaron Schatz, the editor of this, the main man of Football Outsiders, will be on the next podcast. I'm going to talk to him Tuesday. It's Friday right now. I'm going to talk to him Tuesday, and you'll get that interview next week. So that's the book club. Two things, Turtle F and Godhead by Corbin Reef and the Football Outsiders Almanac, the 2020 edition. Both are available now. Both guys are going to be on the podcast soon. Aaron next week and Corbin really soon. Maybe we'll do Corbin next week too. We'll see. I got to talk to him and set that up. But that's the book club update for today. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with Stuart Mandel. Our next guest today goes way back with the sportscaster starting when he was at Sports Illustrated. We followed him to Fox, and now he's at The Athletic. He's here to talk college football with us today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Stuart Mandel. Hey, Stuart. Hey, Steve. How are you? Very good. So I want to start off with some sportscaster's trivia. I know it's a area of expertise for you. The show started in 2011, and uh, Jeff Passan was the first guest. Oh, wow. He's, uh, I see him every day on TV now. Right? <laughs> Isn't that funny? Uh, it takes uh, many, many, many groveling text messages to book him now. Um, what episode do you think featured the debut of Stuart Mandel on the show? Who I think was at Sporting News then? Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated? Okay. That makes more sense. All right. So... It started in 2011, and it was every week. It's been every week since. Now it hasn't been every week since, but in 2011, there was times there was two a week, you know. Um, but uh, it's well over 300 now. But maybe I was as, like as a clue, number the, 20. Okay, that's that's a good guess. Um, okay, you're 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 in the ballpark. You were on season one, episode 31. There you go. Wow. Yeah. I just guessed that at random. Damon Hack was the guest before you. Um, Kirk McElhern was the, on the show with you, who I believe was like a Apple writer, you know, wrote about like iPhones and shit like that, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then Matt Crossman and Gabe Feldman were on 32. I mean, it must be you go back and look at the archives, you must see, like, you, you probably launched a lot of people's careers. Oh, yeah. I mean, I get calls every day, like, oh, thank God for the sportscasters. You know, where would I be without you? You know, I'll get it all the time. You know, guys like Joe Piznanski. I hope they, you know, I hope they're paying you a commission. Right. Joe Piznanski was on episode six. Sure, he was the sport. Wow. Sure, he was the sports writer of the year that year. But, you know, he's like, you know, so indebted to me, I'm sure. You know, Lee Jenkins was on 20 times. Then he gets hired by the Clippers. Not a coincidence. But uh, how are you today? You know, it's funny when we look back at those those early times. Because you were also on 37. So for whatever reason, I felt like I need to get you right back on. But uh, Well, 2011 was a very eventful year <laughs> in college football. Uh, there was, um, just off the top of my head, Jim Trestle got fired that year. Um, there, I think the, the second wave of conference realignment was that year. I, I could imagine I might have been in a little bit of a demand. Well, the debut was the day after the um, 
Newton BCS win over what was it Oregon? Uh, who's win over Oregon? Uh, Cam Newton and um, uh, oh, the day after the national title. Game yeah, the beginning of the yeah, year. that was the first show, and Jeff was on to promote the book Death to the BCS. That's kind of how it started. Got but, it. But um, I what I was saying there was that we had a joke in the beginning that we only talked if there was some kind of scandal. You know, it seemed like yeah. I would call you to say what happened at North Carolina or, you know, what happened at Miami or, you know, probably alignment. That's not necessarily a scandal, but it just seemed like we were always talking about these off the field things. And then we got to a point, you know, maybe when you were at Fox or in the beginning of the athletic run or whatever, it seemed like we we're talking more about who's going to be in the playoffs and, you know, can Oklahoma ever win a playoff game or, you know, what about Lincoln Riley? And now Ohio State's going to try to do that. You know, like we got into those things more. And to bring this all around and to actually start talking about something someone might care about, seems like here we are today now again where we have to focus on something at no fault of college football is probably this time. Um, probably we won't spend much time on who's good this year, who will be in the playoffs. You know, I, I imagine we're going to be spending more time talking about will there be playoffs, will there be games. You know, it's it's – it's an interesting year for sure to to say like as someone reaching out to you like where do we start like what let's start here i asked jeff this a couple weeks ago rich guy comes up to you and says i got 20k for you i'm not just going to give it to you but i will allow you to wager it and if you win the wager you get the 20k tax free clean it's yours cash they'll hand it to you at the sports book you walk out you know do whatever you want with it. Good deal. Yeah. You get you got three choices to put the money on. A, there will be a college football season. And they'll, you know, they'll play it out. And they'll crown, crown a national champion. And that could mean a lot of things, right? It could be in any kind of crazy form. You don't have to be too specific about that. Just that they'll start. They'll kick off sometime in the end of August or September. And they'll finish sometime in January with someone holding that ugly trophy up. That's option one. Option B, they never play. Or option C, they try to play, and for some reason they can't finish. Where, where are you going to mm. put the 20K? Um, probably option C. Okay. And, and, but with the caveat that I hope that's not the case, I hope we make it to January and have a championship game. Of course. But, um, I mean, right now, I mean, look, it changes by the day, by the week. Um, obviously much will depend on, on things that we can't possibly predict right now with the virus in our country. But, um, you know, right now the colleges, the conferences, the major conferences are determined to, to give this a go. Um, but I also think they realize that there's any number of factors that could cause it to get shut down. So, um, you know, I, I think, I think there will be a playoff and a national championship game at some point, but if you're saying it's in January, I mean, I can't say that with any certainty right now. Sure, it could easily be a month has to stop or something. Could like be February, February, February could right. be April, could right. be May. Who sure, knows? sure. Uh, you know, it's interesting because people have been asking me, you know, like a popular question when someone just wants to bullshit for like six seconds and then walk away. They'll be like, "Do you think there's going to be football this year? Will we have football this year? You know, like what do you think? You know." And my kind of stock answer to that, especially when I know they don't really want to talk about it, they're just kind of making you know what i mean 
I'll just be like, you know, I really think we'll have the NFL. College is going to be tougher. And and I've Mm -hmm. just had that in my head as like something to say that sounds smart. And I guess the reason I think that is because with the NFL, you're dealing with professionals, right? And there's a different level of expectation for professional. Where in college, you know, these are not professionals. They're barely adults. You know, so that's why I've said that. Is there any wisdom to that? Is that how you felt? Um, I'm sure you get the question. What what have you said to people? Yeah, I mean, my feeling since the beginning has been the NFL will will play no matter what. I mean, they're not going to let... So far, they haven't let the pandemic stop them from from any of their uh, normal business, including the draft. Obviously, um, now as it gets as we get closer to reality here, and certainly with what's happening with baseball and the fact that you know it seems right now, I know the season that hasn't actually started yet. The NBA bubble seems to be working great. People, you know, they're NHL going weeks too. now without anybody yep. testing positive. Any all the sports that are in a bubble are proving that that model can work. And then baseball, the one that's trying to do it. Know, other than there being no fans, it's basically what they've always done sure. is, is running into big problems. And so football, NFL, um, the NFL could run into those problems and more, especially since it's a full – I mean, right now, as we're sitting here right now, it's still hard for me to even fathom the idea that in the next couple of weeks football teams are going to have – are going to put on the pads and block and hit and breathe all over each other. Sure. Like it just – it seems insane, uh, but they are full speed ahead. So um, college – the, the one, the thing that has always, to me, been the biggest hurdle for college football is that they're going to be played on college campuses. And, you know, for all the debate in our country right now about whether kids should go back to school, I'm actually, uh, forget that debate. Like, I don't really, I'm not going to weigh into that. But I do think that I, I'm surprised there isn't more um, argument or, like, concern about college students going back to college. Because um, just this morning, New York Times had a, a study that there have been at least 6,300 cases on college campuses so far. And that's with <clears throat> classes not being held and, and most students are not back yet. Um, students are going to come back in mid to late August and they're going to start infecting each other like crazy. That's just, it's going to happen. There's, there's no avoiding that. And then the football players are not, <clears throat> excuse me, they're not living in a bubble. They, a lot of them are roommates with these people or they go to class with them. And so, you know, I think right now, when it's just the football team and nobody else and they're doing workouts and fairly controlled, you know, you feel like you can keep things under control, but once the students come back, I mean, we could be seeing some massive outbreaks. And so, um, it's just a matter of, you know, how much chaos are they willing to tolerate? Cause I think what's happening with the Marlins will happen across college football and possibly many multiple times throughout the season. Um, and it's just, are you, are you willing to live with that level of risk and that level of chaos? Quick, quick, quick baseball question. I want a quick answer here. I just want to take your temperature a little bit. If baseball were to get through this and the Marlins are the only team that this happens to, is that a success? It's a success for them, no question. Okay. Uh, I mean, to, to uh, yes. I mean, I, okay. I think baseball is right. very happy with that, right? All right. Yeah, but just curious what you thought. Baseball is also not a full – yeah, baseball is not a full-contact sport. Fair. Um and not being played on college campuses. Right. Let's go back to this. Let's go back to the kids, the students, for a second. You probably remember this video. We all watched it when this was just starting. It was like in Miami or in Florida somewhere. It was very early in the shutdowns. Kind of as the country was kind of shutting down like a wave, right? Like maybe New York, based on 
cases and things kind of started and you know just before you knew it the whole country was down but it kind of happened like a wave and as florida was shutting down there's this video of like a bunch of kids on spring break down there you know yeah and they just have this attitude that all of us had at that age of you know look this is my spring break we've been waiting for this you know we're not gonna let this stop us you know we're gonna do what we can do until we can't do it no more and then we're gonna go find someone else to do it you know like it was just kind of this attitude now and i want to say this in their defense we also didn't understand the virus to the level that we do today right like it's it was a different there was was a lot more unknown compared to today i don't know if that changes a 20 year old's attitude or not but the point of bringing it up is is so much of this and the success of it like you say is going to be on the, the kids themselves and how they behave at the universities and the colleges right like my brother uh, was a college athlete, and he lived in the quote-unquote hockey house at his college. And it was like him and eight players on the team, right? They would have all gotten this. <laughs> the way they lived, there was no chance that they would have been able to slow this if they were. You know, like they just lived in a way that to me just seems completely the opposite of everything that would create an environment conducive yeah. of slowing the spread, right? Denial. Yeah. Everyone's in complete denial. I mean, you know, most of the things that the colleges have, and even the colleges that have announced that they're going to mostly online only are still keeping the residence halls open. Um, they're still inviting students to come back. And of course, a lot of students are already back. They live in uh, fraternities and sororities, or they live in apartments. Sure. And everybody's just kidding themselves if they think, Certainly, like, think about it. Some of these people haven't seen their friends since March. Like, they're going to get back. They're going to hang out in close groups. They're going to party. They're going to hook up. And they're going to hook up, and the case numbers are going to just soar. And anybody who thinks otherwise is just in complete denial. In fact, Clemson's president recently, you know, they pushed back the start of classes like three weeks. And um, he said that their model showed that if they had opened that day, thousands of students would have gotten infected. So... Um, for some reason, we're just going to go ahead. I mean, I know the reason they don't want to lose all the tuition money. Uh, we're just going to go ahead and do this and see what happens. And I do think the college players, um, kind of got the message early on when, when LSU and Clemson had those huge outbreaks, especially LSU, because they were able to link it specifically to guys going to the bars. Um, you know, I think a lot of the, I mean, encouragingly, most programs, when they send out these, this data, you know, at this point is down to zero or one or two cases. And so that tells me that the players have gotten the message and they're, they're mostly, um, you know, following the, the protocol. Um, but I, you know, there's nothing that's going to keep general students from, from doing it. And, you know, it's unavoidable unless you, unless you create a bubble and the college football players never leave it. Um, they are going to get exposed. And then that, brings you to the question kind of of risk right like inevitably you know college football players have horrific injuries on the field neck injuries and you know even knee injuries whatever college kids go to campus they get hurt they get sick all the time right so when you go there you're assessing your risk like is this activity worth 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 the risk relative to this or that or this. And I think that what is difficult is people are trying to make that analysis. 
But the problem is, is with all those other things, we just have so much more data. So it's a lot easier to make that call. Where here we're trying to make a call based on so 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 few data, and also um, with this other factor of, well, I want to play in the NFL, so I gotta, I gotta mm-hmm. figure that into the risk because I'm not going to do that if I can't get this tape or whatever. You know what I mean? So it's it's a really tough, it's really hard to you know like have that day where you sit down at the kitchen table with mom and dad and say like is this worth the risk because we just don't know so many of the variables and then so many of the other things that are entering into the conversation um are clouding clouding the judgment potentially i don't know what you, if you think of that if that was a question i don't yeah, know I mean, but, player, yeah. players want to play yeah. i mean we did a, a survey in of players in the spring um, granted it's still, you know, the virus hadn't really hit a lot of the country at that point. The overwhelming majority had very little concern. They wanted to play. Um, I'm sure that's mostly still the case today. Um, but they are, you know, I just think it's different when it's pro athletes, like they're adults, they can make that decision. They're pros, you know, yep. certainly it's their livelihood, you know, but I just feel like in college that decision needs to be made by the people in charge. And, um, it's, it, they're basically, I mean, the worst case, the nightmare scenario for everybody is you, you start the season and let's say 99.9% never get sick, like never even get a cold. Um, but one player dies, that's going to shut the whole season down and it can happen. And, um, I, that, that, I think every day that's what the commissioners are weighing is the risk. Is it the risk small enough that it's worth taking? Is that what you think the the uh, the all right we're done moment would be would be a death? Like, is that the main I, the main I w- thing? I would hope so. Okay. If it's not, there's some serious ethical questions to be had. Um, and uh, look, I mean, you know, people on Twitter will say, "Oh, players, you know, they die." Every year, we have a couple players who died who had some undisclosed condition and died from. Sure. Uh, you know, heat stroke hard workouts, or whatever. Right? Yeah. 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 But there's really no preventing that. Like, there's nothing we could have done to prevent that and still play football. You know, this is preventable. Um, so I don't know. It's it's. I don't think there's any easy answers. Uh, I think one thing that I'm a little puzzled by is I would have thought by now that no one needs to cancel the season, but I would have thought by now they would have hit pause and said we're going to wait. Because, first of all, the, you're trying to start this when the virus is at its highest peak so far uh, around the country. But also, let the NFL go first. Like, let them do training camp sure. and see how see that how goes, goes and learn yeah. from them. That's fair. Why, why are college players going to be the, the guinea pigs in this? Because Well, are they or will have, it be simultaneous? TCU is supposed to open camp this Friday, Oklahoma on Saturday, uh, because they're playing week zero games. Um, which means, you know, there's like a two day acclimation period. Why did they do that? Stuart Sunday or Monday. Why did OU move that game? What was the logic there? I'm sure, you know, know, I I don't the big 12. So every conference is approaching this differently. Okay. Like the PAC 12 seems to be dealing in a reality where they're, they already know they're not going to start on time. And now it's just a matter of when, if you listen to Bob Bowles, be a commissioner, if you see his quotes from over the last few months, he's been pretty consistent in just saying, we're just going to accept that games are going to get canceled and we're going to schedule around them. And so their, their thinking is let's start it earlier 
I think this is what they're thinking is start it earlier. Give us so that they have more off weeks throughout the year to make up games and get canceled. Okay. Um, so that, you know they're they're thought. just leaning in. They're saying uh, we know this is going to happen. Let's just play through it. Do you think? And maybe this is a tough or unfair question, but let's talk about Lincoln Riley for a, for a second because he just had his contract extended by the board of governors makes a lot of money to do what he does in Oklahoma. He's been very successful there, right? He's uh, had a couple of Heisman Trophy winners. I don't remember exactly what place um, what place the kid finished last year, but top three, I think, for sure. He was definitely at the ceremony. So he's done really well there. Yep. You know, a lot of number one draft picks in the NFL, playoff games, which haven't went their way, but, you know, they just weren't. You know, outside of the Georgia game, I think the other team was just better than them all those other times. That happens. Um, let's talk about him for a second because I hear you talking about people in charge and, you know, who should make these calls. And I, and I was thinking about Lincoln Riley the other day, this highly paid guy, well-respected guy. Seems like he's doing the good thing. You know, seems like he's, you know, he's not Gundy in the same state where there's this contention between the players and, you know, whatever. It's it's just a guy that we can look at and say, okay, the kids seem to like him. The team certainly, the school certainly seems to like him, um, and he's doing good things. So, do we think that Lincoln Riley? And, and again, I'm not trying to be unfair to him or single him out. I'm just kind of using him as an example. But what is Lincoln? Let's try to put ourselves in his head. Like, and I'm not saying anything he's done in, this far is right or wrong. But are you? Uh, let me let's let's take it off him and put it on you as a thinker here for a second. Are you waiting for someone like Lincoln Riley to stand up and say, "Okay, we shouldn't do this" if that's what you think is right? Um or do you think why if if, if he's not going to do that, why do you think he's not? Um cuz it's not like he stands really much to lose, right? If they didn't play this year, what would he lose? Not much, I don't think, right? He'd be there next year and still make a lot of money and uh, maybe he'd make a little less this year. I don't know how they'd work well, it out. Well, it's but... interesting that we're using Lincoln Riley as an sure. example because he's actually been one of the few coaches who has come out and, and express. I mean, if you remember, um, you know, this was a couple months ago now, he was the only one I can remember that came out and said it was, you know, wait longer. It's crazy that we're talking about bringing players back on right. June 1st, whatever that date yep. was at the time. And then he has also been – one of the few coaches who has been openly, I wouldn't say pushing for, but open to playing the season in the spring. You know, most people in the sport are very down on that. He has said, no, it's absolutely doable. Here are the reasons why. So, you know, I would say he's actually one of the rare coaches, few coaches, at least publicly, who has been very much like cautious and understanding that, hey, we're taking a big risk here. Um, now, the decision to play a game earlier, I mean, the coach doesn't make that decision on his own. Obviously, the AD would as well in consultation with the conference. But my, I haven't heard from him, but my guess is that their, their you know, workouts to this point and the numbers and how they've been able to contain it have gone well enough that he feels confident they can move to the next phase. One thing that these guys care about, I know, I don't know him, obviously, but I know he cares about this. Is, and I know college football coaches and players everyone cares about this really his legacy right and he's building a great one there like an immortal level legacy where he's one of the undisputed kings of the state of Oklahoma if he was the coach 
of the kid in that nightmare scenario we talked about, God forbid. Yeah. Is that like a strike on that legacy? Is it does that then fall to him? Is it, will we be saying like Lincoln should have done more? Will we blame him? How how if something happens to one of these guys, the real powerful ones, I guess is why I, I thought of him because he's so powerful, right? Like him and you know the coach of Auburn or of Alabama or Clemson or these they're the power guys here, right? If one of that, or will we judge them and say one of those guys needed to protect these kids and look, it happened on his watch and, you know, is it damning to them? Like, you know what I'm getting at? I hope I'm a little sloppy here, but I'm trying to I organize would, it on the you know, I, It's hard to, to say how that would work in reality, but, you know, ultimately Lincoln Riley, it's not his decision to go forward with this or not. You know, he can't, you know, he doesn't have the ability to like pull the Sooners out of the season if he truly felt that. So, you know, I think if this turns into a calamity, you know, if, if a player dies, if many players end up in the hospital, like that falls to me on the conference commissioners. Um, you know, they're the ones pushing forward with it. Now, you know, they 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 can't. In college, it's really the university presidents that make these decisions, um, and they would shoulder the blame too. But you know, at the end of the day, if Greg Sankey of the SEC tells the presidents we cannot do this, they're not going to like oppose him. So, you know, it's full speed ahead. And if it, if it, if it turns out to be a disaster, you know, that's on them. That's on the people who just, who decided that the risk was low enough to, to go ahead and try to play a college football season in the middle of a pandemic. All right. The sportscasters finishing up here with one of our main men been with us since 2011. Uh, Stuart Mandel. It's at SL Mandel on Twitter. He's the editor in chief of the athletic college football, the audible podcast, um, good dude out in the Bay Area. I appreciate him immensely. Let me ask you one more thing at the risk of potentially being on the opposite side of something, and I hope you know that I speak only with due respect. Let's talk a little bit about something that went on yesterday, and I wonder if we're going to be on the opposite sides of this. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. We'll see. Uh, Kyle Brandt, I think, from the NFL Network, who's been nice enough to join us a few times, another big Pearl Jam guy like me, uh, tweeted something that got a little buzz about, I don't remember exactly how he put it. I don't want to misquote him, but basically the gist was how come people who cover these sports seem to be rooting for them to fail in terms of Corona and the future of the prospective leagues. And you were a person who came out on Twitter kind of opposing that view. Um, and knowing I would have you today, I sat and thought about it for a while. And I was reading your some of your replies and your um, – I, I kind of looked at it. You know, it's one of those things I didn't think much about, but I, I took some time to think about it. And this is where I'm kind of at. I don't know that anyone's rooting for or against anything, really. I don't, I don't know that I believe that. But, you know, I, I, I went to media school. You know, I went to Syracuse first. I was a Newhouse student, and I got sick and had to come closer to home finished at Fredonia where I was also a media student. And, you know, like one of the first things that they teach you, you know, in, in, in mass media 101 or whatever, is this, you know, this kind of catchy little phrase, like if it bleeds, it leads. And I do feel that with Corona and the coverage of it, uh, the bleeding is leading. Um, you know, very rarely do we hear stats about recoveries. You know, we only hear about infections and deaths. Uh, when someone gets Corona, it's huge news. Someone like, say, Sean Payton. Huge news. 
very, very little news when he no longer has Corona. Um, so I do understand what he's saying in the sense that the bleeding is leading. Um, and maybe if, and this is where I'm lucky I, I'm not in this position. I'm just a dope in his extra bedroom in Buffalo, lucky enough to talk to someone much smarter and successful like you and be able to propose this. But I might want to um, say like, hey, the bad stuff is bad, but let's look at some positive. The tests that have come in let's are good. The numbers are good. Um, you know, these amount of people have got it, but these have recovered. You know, we're seeing some evidence of potential burnout in New York and in places in Europe. There's some science with T cells that potentially immunity is, you know, 10%, not 60 or 70 like we thought. You know, there the stuff that doctors are are treating it better. You know, the infection rate is at a lower age now and death rate is the age is still high, high, very high. So I guess what I'm asking is you were very on the opposite of that. Was it the way he worded it? Was it just, and I'm extrapolating a little bit for him. He's not here, but maybe clarifying. Um, was it the wording? Was it just the premise in general? Where do you stand on the coverage of this by people who make a living um, closely related to the actual playing of it? Right at some point, if we just yeah. don't play this, those jobs are going to go away. People have survived to this point, but if four months turns into forty, those jobs are going to dry up. Right. So, again, I'm a little sloppy well, here. I'm doing my best, but right where are you? Is, yeah, so to be clear, I, I get these these kind of comments in, in my Twitter mentions all the time, and you know, it, it angers me. But like, I understand, like you know, Twitter is full. Of, trolls sure and that's that's to be expected it's disappointing to me that somebody in a high profile role in the media w- would put that out there and the tweet was there's a segment of the nfl media that seems to be almost rooting for covid to affect the season they want it they see the marlins news and say yep lots of luck football these are people who make their livings off football i don't get it um they sig- first of all the suggestion that anybody is rooting for a virus i mean it's just sick like who's rooting for people to get sick and die? Um, you know, like if we could flip a switch tomorrow and not have COVID anymore, that's what I'm rooting for. Can I try, uh, can I try to answer that real quick though? Yeah. Okay. Well, again, I don't think the news director of the channel 11 news goes into work hoping that there's seven fatalities in a car accident and a, a gun standoff and, all these other things. But if they did arrive to work and it was puppy dogs and sweet children, they would be very upset because they would know that no one would watch that and it would affect their livelihood. So I don't, and I've lived in a world where, you know, the, the 27 minutes of the newscast is all that bleeding. It's leading. And two minutes is the puppy dogs and the kids. And I, I'm at the same age as Kyle. So maybe I understand his cynicism there. If that's what it is. Um, yeah, the bleed the least thing is valid. Um, you know, the, the, the most headlines about Corona, you know, and I read the New York times, right. Most of the headlines about coronavirus are, are pretty dire. Um, I do think that's kind of reflective of reality. Uh, you know, we thought we had it under control and then it surged in the wrong direction. Um, and, and there's a lot of frustration. I do think a lot of what you see for, at least from sports writers, is just frustration. Like, 
this all could have been avoided. And, but you know, one of the reasons why we're so frustrated is because this could affect our jobs. So any insinuation that people are, are rooting for this and like oblivious to the fact that it might affect, you know, that if there's no football, it might affect their jobs. It's exactly the opposite. We're not, I'm not saying I'm concerned that I'm going to be unemployed tomorrow, but yeah, like there needs to be a college football season or my, you know, and especially in my position of being the editor in chief of a site with 30 something people covering college football, you need the games at some point. Yeah. All our livelihoods are going to be disrupted and affected if there's no season or it's a, you know, just a, a shell of itself. So, you know, I think that's where I get defensive people. I mean, I get all the time people in my mentions who are like, you're going to be working, at, you know, it's unbelievable to be rooting for this because you're going to be working at McDonald's next week. Um, we know that <laughs> we, we're all nervous. I think that's why we get angry and frustrated when, when there's, you know, people who refuse to wear masks or, you know, anything that, that indicates that, or, you know, the, the, the ridiculous comments in any story I write related to this about it's no worse than the flu. Um, that, that's where that, that's coming from. We're, we're well aware of the effect on worse. I mean, I, I've, I've had more, you know, insomnia over the last six months than I ever have in my life because I'm worried what's going to happen to my staff if sure. there's no college football season. We already had layoffs at the athletic because, you know, even though things, things had been going great until they shut down sports for four months. Fortunately, some of them are back now. So, um, yeah, I think that's it's a disrespectful comment by him and by other people that are making those comments. I do get, and I am sympathetic to mix in more of the good news. And, in fact, if you look at my Twitter feed in the two days since he said that, I've been trying to make a point to retweet that Maryland had no positive tests. And um, certainly the NBA – I mean, the NBA is the most encouraging thing in sports right now. That the, the bubble is working. And the NHL. They've had no new cases in three weeks, yeah. Right. So, yes, let's emphasize those things. I agree. Uh, as it pertains to college football, there just hasn't been a lot of great news lately. But, you know, hopefully that will change soon. Well, I hope you don't think I was being a troll or um, no, you make disrespectful a, hey, look, in any your way. Point about, yeah, your point about that the bleed, bleed the lead is totally valid. Um, you know, I think the Miami Marlins having an outbreak is, is, some, is huge news. Um, the, but if you noticed in the press release, it said that the other every no, there were no positives on any of the other teams in the league, and that just kind of got buried to the side. So right. I, I get it. I get that the the bad is is just kind of naturally um, the news more so than the good. And so I, I mean, look, if if the legacy of this is that Kyle Brandt caused me to be more mindful of that and start tweeting out more good news, then, then hey, I guess it, yes, you know, I guess it got across. Well, maybe because Kyle loves Pearl Jam so much like I do. I'm trying to give him a pass a little bit. But I think that that's where he's going there, right? I think he's saying – well, forget what I think he's saying. The point is is what I think is that we talk, you talked about frustration, right? And I think the frustration you have, I think he feels it too. You know, and that maybe um, that tweet, part of it is the frustration boiling out. I don't know about you, but – in the last five months, I've typed and deleted more tweets than all the <laughs> other. You know, I type them up because I have a, a like about a one minute grace period on every tweet. I type it and I wait a minute before I hit send. Basically, almost on every tweet, and think you know, read it. Part of that was the typo thing started me on that because you know you have this unbelievable take in your mind, and you instead of writing tin, you wrote you know. 
tan and nobody knows what the f you're saying then you know like so that's part of it too i don't want to act like i'm this brilliant you know philosopher but i knowing myself i know i need that and i've typed and deleted so many and maybe he would say to us maybe i should have deleted that one or worded it different but i think again i I don't want to talk about what i think he thought but what what I think when I read what he said and read what you said and read what other people said is that we do need, I think, to do a better job of reporting the good parts, not just the bad parts, um, to ease that perception that other people have of the industry. So that's I all. I think uh, somebody gave me some probably somebody gave me some pretty good advice. This would have been like mid to late May. Um, again, this was during the period before it really hit the South and the Sun Belt, And, you know, I think a lot of people still looked at it as something that, that if you weren't in New York, um, didn't affect you. And I just found myself getting just so mad every day and, and getting into, which is uncharacteristic of me to get into like Twitter spats with people. Um, like that, that I just, that's not something I normally do. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta stay off here for a few days. I noticed. So I was, it was bothering me. And I, I asked somebody like, "Why, why do you think that is? And they said, look, whether people want to admit it or not, and this is especially true at this point in the game, everybody in the country is scared of the virus, but everybody has a different way of, of dealing with that. Some people are dealing with that by kind of burying their head in the sands and saying, this isn't a big deal. I'm going to find, you know, if you can find, as you know, in the media say, you can find something that, that reaffirms your viewpoint. So I'm, I'm just going to go find the things that tell me this is a hoax or is it no worse than the flu, et cetera. And some people, and I think I was one of them at the time, you know, was like reading every every new piece of tidbit about this stat and that stat and freaking out, and that was so it was making me mad that, that there were people who weren't taking it as seriously as I was. And so once I got that message, I think I've been a lot better about it. I don't think I generally you know see me getting mad on there, but I did get mad at Kyle Brandt. So sorry, Kyle. <laughs> I think never has disconnecting been more important than it is uh, today. Sometimes you need to just disconnect. Yeah. All right. This is enough. You got other things to do than this all day. Uh, it's at SL Mandel on Twitter, uh, like I said. And again, I think I say this every time. And if I don't, shame on me. But thank you so much uh, for doing this silly thing for nine years now. And many times in those nine years, I appreciate you and thank you. What else do you want to plug? Obviously, the Audible podcast, uh, subscriptions. The to- Audible with me and yeah. Bruce. Uh, yes, for sure. If you love podcasts, you can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts now. And obviously, I'm going to tout the athletic. Yep. Um, even in a time when there's been no sports, it's just been amazing how much great content, how many great stories we've pumped out. And right now, in a celebration of sports returning, um, 40% off an annual subscription. Just click on any article, and it'll take you to that. Thank you, Stuart. Be well. Thanks, Steve. I want to thank Paula Bennett for being on the Sportscasters today. I also want to thank Greg Wyshynski, the Puck Daddy, and, of course, Stuart Mandel for being on the show. Uh, don't forget you can find this show and all episodes of the Sportscasters on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com 
slash sports dash casters. You can also find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Email me, the sportscasters at gmail.com. And if you can give a review, thank you. Uh, greetings from Allentown. Its Twitter is at GF Allentown Pod. He has a new episode out about Memphis. Or no, excuse me, not Memphis. Uh, Bill Watts, Mid-South, 1985. Check that out. Peter and I are going to be recording an Adams Division podcast soon about SummerSlam. Uh, also, our friend Adrian Dater at A Dater is quarantined in Edmonton. So he can be there for the Avalanche playoff games. I don't know what kind of access he'll have, but he's in Edmonton on the ground there doing his two-week quarantine uh, so he can be a part of it. Uh, also, I want to mention that sometime in August, uh, we will be doing a Sportscasters podcast the old way. Uh, Don Russ is going to be here. He is going to co-host. We will do three things, and it will be an old-school Sportscasters episode uh, with Don, who will always be uh, the second most important person in the history of the sportscasters. Uh, and I can't wait to do a show with him again. And we will try to do those uh, more often, maybe at least quarterly. Uh, get Don in here, uh, drag him out of his house, and make him uh, do this with me because uh, I started this to do it with him uh, to a large degree. Uh, so I'm excited to do that. All right, one last thing for today, and it's about baseball. And I'll keep it short because I have a bad feeling. Uh, the baseball season is going to be short. When we had Jeff Passan on a few weeks ago, uh, I asked him a question. I actually asked the same question earlier to Stuart. I said, if you had to bet money on whether or not this baseball season would start or it would start and then get canceled or it would start and finish, where would you put the money? And he didn't commit to anything, I don't think. He kind of danced around it and said why each one would be a good or bad bet. I've always sort of had my money on B, uh, that it would start and then be canceled. Uh, that it would start and something would happen, like a team uh, would get it, like the Marlins have already. Or someone would get sick, seriously ill, and, 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 and something tragic would happen, or whatever. We asked Jeff why baseball didn't consider a bubble, and he said the players wouldn't agree to that, and I wonder if today they regret it. I wonder if they wish they didn't have three bubbles somewhere, you know, one for the East, one for the Central, one for the West, you know, the NL and AL in each division there could be somewhere. Maybe it's too long. Maybe it wasn't realistic, whatever. They didn't do it. And because they didn't do it, I've been really, really, really cautious about how interested I've been in these baseball games. Uh, I've watched very little baseball so far uh, I have been checking scores quite a bit and I've enjoyed I've enjoyed the fact that I can open my phone and go to my app and check scores I've enjoyed that and I've watched some highlights and I have watched some baseball not much but some and if I'm being honest I've just been trying to avoid the heartache I guess and the disappointment that just seems inevitable inevitable to me and I'm not rooting for this in any way uh, very much I want baseball to be played and to finish and for there to be a World Series champion and I want moments like Aaron Judge's home run in the ninth inning last night and the diving play in the outfield that the Braves made in the ninth inning and you know grand slam home runs and you know Bieber having 
27 strikeouts or whatever he has in his first two starts. I love baseball, and I want baseball, but I am been hurt too much, you know, so far through this. You know, hurt by Pearl Jam concerts being canceled, by Americans passing away, uh, by the politicization of the country and how this virus has accentuated that. And I've been hurt by what happened to Drew Brees and what's happening in our cities and in the streets and the fact that police have become enemies to the point that the Boston Bruins are photoshopping a Boston police logo out of a player's t-shirt in a picture of him playing basketball. Like that's where we're at. I've been hurt a lot during this as we all have. And it's been a test for all of us on our mental health. And I have to be careful with my mental health because it can directly affect my physical health, which has been well documented on this show. And because of that, I have been very, very, very distant from baseball, maybe socially distant. I want to believe that it can be played and that it can be finished. And And I hope they have a plan for the things that have happened, like the Marlins and now the Cardinals and the Phillies. And I just wonder, will this build up and build up and they have to cancel? I don't know. Uh, but I just don't want the heartache. I just can't. I just can't take anymore. I guess, and I'm sure. I'm not trying to pretend that. You know, I'm the only guy hurt here, or even trying to say my hurt is as much as one of the hundred thousand plus Americans families who have passed away. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I know my limit and I just don't know if I can take it I have more optimism for the bubble leagues which means tomorrow Saturday when the NHL starts and it's games all day I am going to be all in with those games and watching those games and rooting against the Maple Leafs and the Oilers and rooting against McDavid and rooting for Kane and whatever else the Rangers I'll root for whatever it is I'll be all in on that but baseball I'm not ready I'm just not ready to take the risk. Have a good week. We'll be back next week with Aaron Schatz. Please.